Hey, good morning. I'm Pastor Greg Berlon with Derby Creek Church, and uh, glad you could join us this morning uh, for worship and a time in the Word. Um, happy Mother's Day. I, I know this is kind of a day that's uh, with mixed emotions, uh, depending on who you are. And I just want to acknowledge, I know there are some uh, people that want to be moms that are unable to have children. It's a difficult day sometimes. Um, and I know for myself, I'm missing my mom who passed away several years ago. And so, you know, um, but we, we also want to just uh, acknowledge the important work that moms do in raising children and, uh, and, and hopefully raising them up to know God and know Christ as Savior. So a happy Mother's Day to you. Heavenly Father, just thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that it's true um, and that uh, it, it transforms our lives uh, through your Holy Spirit and your word together. Lord, we just um, pray that this morning, um, pray that you'd help our hearts uh, if they're distracted, maybe even if they're distraught, discouraged. Lord, we, uh, we give that to you. We, we want to be honest with you and ask that you would uh, help us to, to come to you, run to you, not run away from you uh, here uh, this morning as we, we sing these songs and as we get into your word, Lord, we open our hearts before you and ask to speak to us uh, through worship in the word. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're continuing on our series here in Esther, and we left off uh, in the book of Esther where um, Haman had kind of, in a sense, kind of bribed the king to be able to... Um, make a law that was going to exterminate all the Jews. Um, his hatred for Mordecai and the, uh, and the Jews was was becoming evident, that is of Haman. And so that's where we kind of left off. And so um, today we're just going to continue in that vein and uh, hit on chapter four. And as I think about this chapter, um, a couple of things uh, stick out to me that we're going to focus in on this morning. One is just the impact of one person um, who's who avails himself to be used by God, and as I think about how uh, different people in my life have had a an impact, uh, you know, just individuals. I think of people like Mike Moret or Terry Lewis or Tim Herring, and just and there's just others that have had played a key parts in my my uh, spiritual journey and following Jesus Christ, and and. In, in real pivotal moments. And Esther is one of those people that God is using to to really uh, stand in the gap and to save a people and his people. And so let's take a look here at this chapter four together, <clears throat> starting with uh, verse one. It says, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. Now, what is that? That is basically he's, um, you know, he's distraught. You know, he's just found out that um, a law has been made that's irreversible, you know, that's, that is uh, all, all himself and everyone that who's a Jew is going to be exterminated. Uh, and so the, talk, the clock is ticking, and he's just uh, distraught. And that would be a, a typical expression in that culture at that time, tearing your clothes, um, crying out loud. And um, there are people groups, you know, now where that's a, a typical way of expressing grief uh, and mourning in a sense. So it goes on in verse 2. He says, um, 
And he went up to the entrance of the king's gate, uh, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting. And many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Uh, Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend to her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city, in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. So stop there for a second. So what you have here is there's there's kind of a going back and forth communication between Mordecai and Esther through these go-betweens. But it was obvious that Esther had no idea that this law had been passed. Of course, she herself is a Jew, right? Um, so she didn't have any idea what was going on, why Mordecai uh, had, you know, was, was out there in sackcloth and so on. And so she's finding out here. So verse 8 says, Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction. Then he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther uh, spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside of the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to the death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I haven't been called to come in to the king these 30 days. So Mordecai's um, basically, you know, encouraging her to go and speak on their behalf. But, you know, Esther's basically saying, you know, um, he's not really asked for me in, in over a month here. And, you know, if you go in the presence of the king without being summoned, uh, he'll, he'll kill you. Um, you have to be summoned. Um, unless, of course, he's in a sense kind of grants you grace and holds out that scepter. So that's what's happening. That's what's at stake here. Then in verse 12, it says, And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Verse 13, Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Verse 15, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold fast on my, and hold a fast on my, word, on, on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So Esther just uh, 
you know, I'm sure by by God's empowerment and her grit and, and just the grace of God, she is stepping up and basically saying, I'm going to put my life on the line. I'm going to go into the presence of the king uh, without being summoned. And if I die, I die. Um, and so so uh, she's asking, though, she's called for all the Jews in the in the in the town there um, to to fast uh, on her behalf. And uh, so that's. This is God's word. It's it's amazing here. Uh, what's transpiring is this this story is unfolding about what happened. Um, but we are just uh, reminded again in this situation how this one person, the Esther. Um, you know, we haven't read the rest of the story yet in, in the message series, but you know, um, she's she's being used to save God's people, as we've said before. Um, but she had to be willing. And uh, she was, and she really stepped up and uh, was willing to be used and, do, and to do the right thing, actually. She, she stepped up to do the right thing to save her people from extermination. Now, uh, think about this, the impact of one person just in general, in history. History is, uh, this is from uh, uh, Chuck Swindoll's book on Esther, Uh, in his Great Live series, a quotation from that where he says, history is full of accounts of single individuals who have made a difference. Think of the military battles that have turned on the axis of one heroic person. Think of the artists and the contribution of their individual lives from Michelangelo and da Vinci to Brahms and Beethoven. Think of the scientists, the inventors, the explorers, the technological experts who have literally changed the course of history. Think of the courageous preachers down through time who have stood alone in the gap and made a difference. The face of the church was changed by individuals, uh, men like Augustine, Tyndale, Bunyan, Luther, Calvin, Whitfield, Wesley, Edwards, Spurgeon, Moody, and Graham, to name only a few. Um, and he's just pointing out, you know, they're uh, just, we, we sometimes we don't think that maybe our lives account to much or that uh, what can little old me do? Um, and in the hands of God, one person can do incredible things, whether they be very public things or whether they be very private things. Um, does not necessarily mean that, that the private things that other people's don't, people don't see uh, or that's in the public eye is, are, are nonetheless important uh, and used by God. And so, uh, again, kind of thinking along the, the importance here of just you know, one person's life um, and the impact it has. Um, you think about elections. I th- uh, often you read about this when you think about the importance of one person, the impact of one vote. In 1845, one vote brought Texas into the Union just by one vote. Uh, in 1868, one vote saved President Andrew Johnson from impeachment. In 1876, one vote gave Rutherford Hayes the United States presidency. And in 1923, one vote gave Adolf Hitler control of the Nazi party. I mean, you just see uh, the impact uh, of one vote there. And just, again, keeping with this a concept of how God uses individuals um, who are willing to do his will and want to step up and do the right thing, even though it may come at great personal cost. Um, so throughout the Bible, we see men and women like Esther who are willing to, to speak up and willing to take action for the Lord. Um, Dave, uh, excuse me, um, Doug Cornelius just mentioned in that communion devotional 
about King David. And, you know, at one point, you know, there he was as, as the, uh, the shepherd boy before he became king. And uh, you may remember there uh, the example, his example, when David was running an errand for his father to the front lines of a battlefield, uh, where his, his brothers were. So the big brothers were there. Dave was out, you know, keeping the sheep, watch over the sheep and so on. And um, his brothers and the other soldiers there were cowering in fear over Goliath and uh, the Philistine giant. And um, every day, you know, Goliath would come out, challenge them and say, hey, you know, uh, you know, the way they were kind of fighting this battle was that you sent out your champion to, to fight their champion, whoever's champion win, wins uh, that that uh, that's the end of the battle, you know, and so save a lot of bloodshed. Uh, that's how that was going to go down. But nobody from the Israelite camp, from God's people, were going to go out and fight. They were all afraid because he was so huge uh, and just overwhelmingly large um, with with a spear as big as a, a weaver's beam uh, type of thing. And And so, but what happens is David having a heart for God, wanting to do what the Lord wanted. Um, he said, listen, don't you see that God's name is at stake here? We represent the Lord. God's name is at stake and we are cowering here. And so he's 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 saying, I'm going to go out and fight this guy. And of course, you know, uh, the rest is literally history and in biblical history uh, that uh, David beat Goliath. This uh, little guy, um, shepherd boy, and and he he defeated Goliath, and he just he just knew he had to do this, um, and that's the type of thing we're talking about here. Is is that what Esther was willing to do was to take a risk for the Lord to do the right thing, take a risk for the Lord to do the right thing, and you know, let me just ask you, think about your life. Think about where God has you, um, the people he's, he's put in your life uh, for you to impact for him. If you're a believer, trust me, God has you where he has you for a reason. He has the people around you that you work with, the people that you live with, the neighbors where you live near, your family, your extended family, no matter even how difficult they may be, he has you there um, for a purpose, for his purpose. And and I just got a question. Are you willing and available to be used by God to speak there, to speak up for him, to maybe right or wrong, to boldly share Christ in his gospel, to do the right thing? I mean, that's that's um, we need to be willing to do that. I mean, um, you know, just think about it. sometimes when you speak up and do the right thing, you can save a life. Um, you can, you know, I was just... Um, you know, thinking about this 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 idea here of one person making a difference, um, in how you know God maybe causes us to to stand up regardless of the circumstances. There, a um, couple of times in my life, for sure, I know the Lord was really moving in my heart to give a verbal witness to classes that I was a part of on the college campus, and. Um, I was shaking to my boots, but I was really convinced. In one case, I stood up and gave a verbal witness uh, just to to my own personal faith story and invited anybody to ask me any questions uh, after the class that day. This was before class was in session. And then another time, um, 
one of my education professors um, totally land blasted uh, Christianity and God and um, in front of the class, which I know is common occurrence, but I, I was like, you know, I'm just not going to put up with that. So I spoke up and he berated me in front of the entire class. Um, and uh, I came back the next day and I handed out a paper. I had written a defense for my faith and some of the objections he had, and I handed it out to the entire class. Uh, I was afraid of that, um, but uh, afraid to do that. Didn't know what the repercussions would be. You never know. Um, but um, I don't know if it, God used it in anybody's life there, but uh, he just moved me to to take action there. And, uh, you know, maybe in your situation, maybe it's not just take action to give a verbal witness, which, you know, I think he wants us to do when we can for sure. But maybe it's it's to be being an advocate for somebody. Maybe it's, uh, um, you know, helping somebody out uh, where we need they, they don't have a voice and we can help them and. And, um, you know, it, it could be anything, but, but we need to be willing. And that's the thing. Are you willing and available to be used by God? And um, so many times, you know, this is a problem. So many times we think somebody else is going to do it. Somebody else. Let, that's, let's let somebody else do that. And you know what? Maybe God is putting it on your heart when you see that and it, and it burns within you when you see an injustice or this or that or something else, when you know it's not right. Uh, or, you know, somebody should speak up and give the right, uh, uh, in my case, it was kind of give the right witness about who God is and that he is the real one and true God and Christ is our Savior and so on. Um, it, you know, just that um, I can't just always think somebody else is going to do it. Um, we need to we need to see this as a time for, uh, you know, that God will move in our hearts at times to speak up. So Second Chronicles 16.9 um, has some relevance to this idea. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give a strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. He's really, this is, shows the, the heart of God. He's really looking for our hearts to be his, to be used by him. And he, I love how it says to give strong support. And his eyes are scanning in a sense. He's looking for men and women who are willing to to go to bat to whatever he wants them to do and whatever uh, he shows them to do and to lay on our hearts. You know, I really think that God, you know, we're not all the same in terms of the passions that we have to for certain um, issues or or uh, things. And I think that's a good thing because God, God's Holy Spirit, you know, when we become believers, he utilizes those passions we have and directs them in a spirit-directed way to get his work done. I just think that's so cool. Um, you know, there are some people that are passionate about different things that I'm not passionate about. And I don't have to worry that I'm not necessarily um, because maybe God's put a passion in them for those things to drive them in an avenue of ministry. And just think about that, that our passion that God puts in us. I mean, I'm talking about a God-given passion, <coughs> excuse me, that he has for us. It directs us in a particular area of ministry. So, Another verse here, Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. It says, "I found for a man, <clears throat> I sought for a man among them, who should uh, build up the wall and stand in the breach before me, uh, before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none." <clears throat> Excuse me. Isn't that a sad statement? God's looking for somebody to do something for Him, and He couldn't find anybody. 
Oh man, man, that, that just, um, you know, hopefully that, that just pricks us in the heart just to, to say, you know, God, am I that way? Am I just always thinking somebody else is going to do it? Um, and I just, uh, you know, if that's where we are, when we just need, I think, repent of that and say, Lord, you direct my heart, you direct my passions, you direct me in how you want me to serve people, speak up, say things. So um, that's challenging, I know. It's challenging for all of us, but hopefully we will step up and stand in the gap when the Lord directs us. The other thing that we see here in terms of the impact of one is how prayer and fasting and the impact of one are working together. You see, it's not just men and women by the by the pure grit and their own strength that they're going out to do these things for God. We need to do it in his power and in his strength and so on. And I'm sure you noticed there in that passage that we're uh, in today that this the mention of, of fasting a couple of times. And, um, you know, what's that about? Well, of course, fasting is mentioned a number of times in the Old Testament and New Testament. And, um, and typically, you know, fasting and prayer would go together. I mean, you're fasting to seek God. It's, it's you're, not, you're not fasting uh, just to lose weight or something in the, in, in the Bible. It's, when fasting is mentioned, it's, it's basically for a, a spiritual purpose. So here, you know, Esther asked Mordecai and the other Jews in the city to fast for her as she prepared to go into the king's presence without being summoned so she could speak up and try to save her people from this terrible injustice and law that would exterminate them. So she's basically praying that God would protect her and that he would save his people. And so they were, they were seeking God through this fasting. And again, I think it can just be assumed that with the fasting was seeking God in prayer. So, you know, I feel like there has been a fast from fasting. I feel like this is one of the spiritual disciplines, you know, uh, oftentimes we think of spiritual disciplines as prayer, um, solitude, um, uh, Bible intake, um, you know, personal worship, whatever, things that uh, we engage in um, to draw us close to God or the means that God has put out there for us to draw close to him and to grow in him. And fasting is one of those. Um, you know, Jesus in the New Testament even says, and when you fast, and then he goes on. And so, you know, when somebody says, and when you fast, it, it just, there's an assumption there that we are fasting. And, you know, I have to confess, this has not really been a regular regimen in my life for a while, uh, to my own shame. And so this whole topic has kind of resurfaced in my life as a result of this passage in our study here today. But what is fasting? Because I feel like it's kind of a, a lost thing. We need to kind of rediscover it and see how God wants to use it. But fasting is the voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Uh, we do not fast to impress God or earn his acceptance. I think it's important to realize that. We are only made acceptable to God through the work of Jesus Christ. So we, we don't do it to, you know, to kind of be acceptable to him and so on. Um, but it is a voluntary abstinence from food for for spiritual purposes. Now, um, I wanted to draw your attention to a resource because I'm going to be um, listing off some re uh, some reasons why we would fast. And um, Donald Whitney, uh, I've, I've read his books on spiritual disciplines in the Christian life, and he has a couple other ones that are related. Um, 
is just a great resource, and uh, he's a godly man. He's um, you know professor um, of biblical spirituality in the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and so uh, just to, I just wanted to kind of give him credit here as we go over some of these things, and I have scripture references too uh, for you to um, to take a look at by each one of these. So, uh, what are the purposes of fasting? Um, you know, one of them is to strengthen us in our prayer life. Um, as you think, if you look in Ezra chapter 8, verse 23, there he says, uh, so, um, this is a quote, Ezra saying, So we fasted and petitioned our God about this. And then it says, And he answered our prayer. And Donald Whitney goes on to say here, says, The most important aspect of this discipline of fasting is its influence on prayer. The Bible does not teach that fasting is a kind of spiritual hunger strike that compels us to God to do our bidding. But, he says, fasting does not change God's hearing so much as it changes our praying. You'll notice that in one way or another, all other biblical purposes of fasting relate to prayer. Oftentimes, when we're, we're fasting... Um, whether it's just one meal or an entire day or whatever, or whether it's just, you know, fasting from a certain particular thing. Um, but when we're normally eating, we're seeking God. And um, I found the times when I have done that, um, that uh, I don't know how to put a better word to this, but kind of your spiritual fervor in prayer is strengthened. And so, uh, maybe you're interceding or praying for someone or uh, on behalf of someone or about something in your life, but your our, our prayer life grows stronger in um, fasting. Another uh, reason the purpose to prayer is to seek God's guidance, uh, to seek God's guidance um, in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, before Paul and Barnabas uh, would... Um, would appoint elders in the churches that they founded. They first prayed in that passage in Acts 14. They they first prayed and were fasting to receive God's guidance. So, you know, um, here uh, Whitney mentioned something that I think is good to 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 uh, know is fasting does not ensure the certainty of receiving a clear guidance from God. Rightly practiced, however, it does make us more receptive to the one who loves to guide us. Because I'd say sometimes when I fasted in the past, I felt like God gave me some direction. But other times I just felt like I didn't really know, but I was able to seek the Lord and, and grow my relationship with him. Uh, it's a way to express our grief is another reason to, uh, to fast. In Judges 20, um, it mentions the Israelites wept and fasted before the Lord, not only to seek his guidance, but also to express their grief for the 40,000 brothers they had lost in battle. So there their fasting was, in, was related to mourning and weeping. Um, in this case, in Esther chapter 4, um, the purpose here was to express uh, or to seek deliverance and protection as Esther was going uh, into the king. And certainly that is uh, a reason to fast. Now, the fifth thing on the list here is to express repentance and to return to God. Many times in the scriptures, when God was calling his people back to him because they had departed from him and following after other gods or whatever, but their hearts had wandered, he wanted them to repent, which means to turn back to him. 
Okay, and in doing so, oftentimes the leaders of God's people would say, we're going to fast and pray and turn back to God. So it's an expression of repentance in in returning to God. Now, um, moving on the list here, just of purposes for fasting, because it's important to realize there are many different reasons, uh, scriptural reasons why we would want to fast. What's happening in Esther is just one of them. But to humble yourself before God, it mentions in 1 Kings 21. Um, This one here, to express concern for the work of God. Um, I think that's important. You know, when Nehemiah got the news about that the walls were broken down in Jerusalem as people were returning, and it was unprotected city, and his heart just was broken, and he was then in mourning and fasting. And so, you know, think about that. Are there people in your life that um, your heart breaks for? Maybe they're far from God. Maybe they don't know God. Maybe one of your children has wandered away from the Lord and you are just, uh, maybe you should fast for them on behalf of them in concern for the work of God in their lives. Um, That is certainly a reason to fast. I was thinking about this, um, again, kind of going back to the college years of my life. There was a one... um, a number of us had roomed together over the first couple of years of college. Uh, we met in the engineering dorm at Ohio State, and then, um, but we kind of uh, we had we had different uh, rooming arrangements the next year. And in that second year, though, one of our former roommates, um, it seemed like God was maybe doing a work there. He was an atheist, and so we started. We decided as uh, as um, former roommates, we were going to take a couple of days and fast. Seek God for his salvation. And again, there's no guarantees. I mean, there's, it's not, again, God is not a, a genie like we rub him and he does what we want. That's not how it works. But our hearts were heavy for this person. We really wanted him. We loved him. We wanted him to know God. And, and so we, we just kept praying over those couple of days. And I'll tell you what, you would not believe it. By the end of the week, this person gave their life to Christ. Um, just amazing. And so, you know, that's that idea of, of, of praying and fasting for concern for people. Um, to over, another reason is to overcome temptation and dedicate yourself to God. You know, if you're struggling with something, um, you know, maybe that would be the Lord prompting you. Uh, you know, if you're struggling with some particular sin area, maybe he's prompting you to, to seek him on that and to get help for getting victory there. Um, you know, Jesus uh, was tempted there in the wilderness uh, there over a period of 40 days, 40 nights. And, um, you know, he was fasting there. And of course, as he was getting ready to go public with his ministry. Then lastly, um, we, uh, we can just simply fast as a means of worshiping God. Um, I thought this was, was a, a neat reference here. As he mentions in Luke chapter 2, um, uh, Donald Whitney mentions, he says, there is an unforgettable woman whose entire 84 years are flashed before us in three verses. And this, her name is Anna. It says the summary of her life is found in Luke 2.37. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Uh, and then he goes on to say, although Anna's story is significant, primarily in the context of Mary and Joseph presenting the newborn baby Jesus at the temple, um, and how she lived from day to day is what concerns us here. Anna was married, it says, for only seven years before she being widowed. Assuming she married as a young lady, 
This godly woman devoted at least half a century, it says, night and day to a worship of God characterized, it says, by fasting and praying. So it is a way to express our love for God. It is a way for us to, to seek him in that way. And so um, I just I just kind of leave you with this here. Um, you know, think about this. You know, is God moving in your heart to fast as you look over those reasons? Think through those reasons. Maybe uh, um, take some time this week. Reflect over those. We'll have the notes up on uh, on our website. We'll have these slides up there in just a matter of a couple of days or so. But, um, you know, is there something that God is asking you to fast about? Are you open to that? Um, another, you know, are you willing uh, to not just fast and to seek the Lord, but to act as his spirit prompts and directs you? I think that's the, the neat thing here is that we see Esther, she's going to go into action. She's just not going to pray and seek God. She is going to take action. And, and the Lord does want us to be people of action as well. So listen, uh, thanks for being with us this morning. I'm just going to close this in prayer here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the example of Esther. Thank you that she just uh, really stepped up and had this attitude of, you know, if I perish, I perish. I'm going to do the right thing. It does. There might be consequences, Lord. And, and even as we think and pray through uh, situations where we feel as we pray about it or as you prompt us, you might want us to step into something that might have consequences. Um, but if, if we're doing the right thing, for you, then uh, then we could have that attitude. Give us the courage to to like um, like Esther had. You know, um, it doesn't matter the consequences. Going to do the right thing. And Lord, um, just show us if there's something that you want us to be fasting for this uh, you know this week or uh, you know the coming days. Lord, help us to be open to that. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.